Hello ladies and gentlemen, my name is Troy Mills and I'm the head golf professional here at the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge Golf Club and I'm coming to you today with a podcast episode uh, for the PGL Alberta Educational Series with Mr. Bob Weeks. Uh, Mr. Weeks is currently a TSN reporter analyst uh, covering golf and curling. Um, he was the Score Golf Associate Editor in 1987, uh, then moved up to Editor in 92, and then became the Editorial Director in 2012. Uh, he's a 2013 recipient of the Golf Journalists Association of Canada, the Dick Grimm Award. Uh, in a 2017, uh, within the PGA of Canada, he was the George Cumming Distinguished Service Award winner, uh, which is one of our association's most prestigious award. His great-grandfather uh, was the founder of PEI's first golf club, which was at the time known as Charlottetown, uh, currently as the Belvedere Golf and Country Club, uh, author of five books, avid golfer and curler, and a proud member of the Weston Golf and Country Club. My distinct pleasure to bring you the podcast today with Mr. Bob Weeks. Mr. Weeks, thanks very much for taking the time out of your uh, your busy schedule to uh, do this podcast with us here for the PG of Alberta Education Series. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show and uh, very much looking forward to our, our conversation today. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, happy to be here and uh, happy to get that little peek out the window before we started there at uh, at the Rockies and beautiful Jasper, one of my favorite spots. So uh, happy to happy to be, come on and have a chat. Yeah, I know, and I really uh, would have been nice if we uh, had done this out here live in Jasper, but maybe something we can uh, visit in the coming years and get you out here to Milligan Manor or Stanley Thompson Cabin and play a couple rounds of golf. But, um, you know, obviously one of the first things I wanted to touch on um, is just the, the golf boom in uh, in the industry we, we know is directly impacted, um, you know, by a negative situation across the world but uh, with COVID-19. But just wanted to get your thoughts on, what do you think that retention uh, is going to be moving forward in the years to come through, you know, various ages? And, um, you know, I think juniors is a, a really big one. Um, you know, ladies as well. I've, I've got three daughters, so I'm very excited to see how that's going to progress in the years to come. But, yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts uh, on everything and, and, you know, what you think is going to be happening moving forward. Well, I think you're right. It was a uh, it was something that was positive out of a big ne- bigger negative. And we've, we've got a lot of people who were forced to stay at home. Uh, and forced not to travel, and so golf was one of the options that you could do safely and, and still can do safely. I think um, I think what we saw were the people who were playing golf were playing a lot more golf. I'm, I'm in that group myself. I played more golf last year than I've ever played. I think there was another group of people who were returning golfers, people who had played in the past and either had stopped playing or maybe had played you know, three or four times a year. They weren't really what you'd call avid golfers or committed golfers. And then there were new people who took up the game. And I, I've seen certainly anecdotally in where I am, uh, a lot more younger people taking it up. But having said all that, I think we'd be naive to think that we're going to retain all those people. Um, not everyone's going to stay with it because there are things you can do now. You can, uh, for instance, around in the southern Ontario area where I am, a lot of people now are going up to their cottages, which they couldn't do at the start of the pandemic a year ago. So they were stuck here or they couldn't go on their trips, their vacations. So I, I think that... Um, it's important that we try and keep as many of those people as we can. And there's lots of ways to do that. I was glad to see the governing bodies put together that uh, program at the start of the year, which was, I thought really creative, uh, kind of focused on the 
non-traditional golfer that didn't look like what we've seen in the past about golf, didn't feel like that. Um, and I thought that was good. I think we need to keep doing that as a group. You know, one of my biggest complaints about the golf market is we're constantly playing defense. We always reacting to someone saying, well, golf is for elite people or wealthy people or things like that. Uh, we're const constantly fighting back when environmentalists say golf's bad for the environment. So I think this was kind of a neat step in that it was a positive it was, let's get ahead of it. Um, people got together and said, look, we've got this great opportunity to try and retain people and even maybe even bring a few more people in. So I think that's that's a really good level. And there's many subset stories to it as well. Uh, municipal golf in a lot of cities, which is being um, hammered <clears throat> in certain cases, saw growth. So that was good opportunity. Uh, newcomers to the game, people not playing necessarily traditional golf rounds, people playing six holes, people playing nine holes. Um, instead of being forced to play 18 or thinking they had to play 18. There's a lot of little pieces that we have to kind of use to build our foundation. But the biggest thing right now is let's, let's not expect that everyone's going to stay, but let's try and make it as inviting and as fun and as, pos and as happy as possible for those who are and have come back to it. You know, that's, that's terrific. And, and do you think that um, you know, the PGA of Canada started a partnership with RBC in the, in the scramble uh, do you think that is, as I believe numbers are way up the last couple of years, and is that sort of that kind of fun event that you're, you're kind of talking, you know, we have a, a five-hole rate here and a nine-hole rate at JPL. Um, other facilities are, you know, expanding the holes, you know, nine and dines. Um, but do you think that, as you mentioned, that fun sort of atmosphere, the socialization, playing the game is, is very important to kind of rely on moving forward here? Yeah, very much so. Uh, I know Golf Ontario is running a program right now in Ontario for specifically targeted at women who may or may not be players already, but it's come out and play as many holes as you want, uh, no scorecard, no rules, no dress code, and they've gotten about 15 courses to buy in around the province, and it's 20 bucks. So that's a perfect example. I think five-hole rates are, are great. Those things are great. The RBC Scramble, I've been lucky enough to be at the national final uh, the first two years that they held it. And I can tell you that that is, um, that's one of the most remarkable events I, I think I've seen. It's, I know it's, it's a sort of based on one that was going in Australia. But for instance, the first year there were four, the team from Saskatchewan were four guys who had never traveled out of Saskatchewan in their life. And, and one was, you know, basically like a, I wouldn't say a beginner golfer, but maybe a, only been playing for about two years. Uh, the second year we had a guy who was in his mid-80s on one of the teams uh, we had a, uh, a Paralympian who was on one of the teams playing. So we got this real broad cross-section of people who would never be in any kind of a national final otherwise, um, other than a few of the PGA of Canada pros who were there. There were some pretty good ones a couple times, Remy Bouchard, for instance, and yeah. things. But I think, I think it's, um, that's the kind of thing you need to do is give people these opportunities that they might not normally get. And for them to travel out to Cabot and play the Cabot courses and and play in a in a with an opportunity to win a national championship i mean that was really really fun so i think the pga and rbc should be congratulated for that one no absolutely and and we've had the uh, privilege of hosting a couple of regional finals and, and seeing that excitement of, of people coming in that may not play a lot of tournament events um may not play that competitive event but once they kind of get into that competitive event they're it's almost like they're hooked um, right. They've done a great job, and yeah, it's it's very exciting. You know, rounds have been up here uh, the last couple of years. Um, you know, not just in Jasper, but across the province, and and you know, Future Links, um, which is uh, driven by Acura, that's that's kind of moved forward. Um, what do you think is the best route going about keeping those juniors involved in the game? Because you know, last summer 
There was no organized baseball. There was no organized basketball. One of the only things that, that kids could do and be active was golf. What do you think is, is something to, to really highlight on moving forward in, in the rest of this year, maybe the years to come, to, to keep those you know, 12-year-olds or those 16-year-olds involved in the game? Um, I, I think it's one word. It's fun. Not every, not every kid is going to be a competitive-natured person. Um, there are, as you know, there's lots, lots of uh, the drive, chip, and putt program uh, concludes at Augusta National. has been a big hit in the U.S. We've had a number of Canadian kids who've gone down there. So there are opportunities to run, like, little programs like that. Um, you can do it at your club. Do a drive, chip, and putt at your club. Or um, I've seen I, I, the club where I am at Weston Golf Club I, yesterday, in fact, there was a, a pre-junior clinic, which I think is nine and under, uh, maybe even younger than that. There were some kids walking out to the range, and, you know, they just looked like they were having a ball. And they had, on the way, they passed out popsicles for them, and, you know, their grips were getting all sticky. And But that's, you know, who cares? Just have fun. Don't don't worry about what's going on. Just let them hit the ball. Um, and they, I saw that they've, and this may be something that the PGA has passed on, but it's, it wasn't all about golf. You know, for a little while they were hitting shots, but then the next time, they had a uh, toss the ball closest to the hole kind of competition. So if you can build this kind of sense with kids that golf is a fun game, it's not a hard game that you play by yourself on big, long courses, um, I think that goes a long way towards trying to, trying to keep them engaged in it. And that's the thing. I remember, remember Jack Nicklaus one time at a press conference years ago. Someone asked him, you know, how do you know when a kid's old enough to take them on the course for 18 holes? And he said, well, if you... If your kid's going along and he doesn't stop at the pond to look for frogs, then they're probably old enough. So, you know, there's, <laughs> there's, there's no perfect way, uh, but fun is the key to it, I think. No, absolutely. You know, I have, I have three daughters in the same thing. Like, I have to, you know, make it fun. So they love going out into the corridor, which is in the middle of our golf course, a little practice hole. Um, but you always got to snap, stop by the snack shack. Got to get a cookie, um, you right. know, a freezer, a popsicle, and, and kind of have that highlight for them when they're out there. And, that's a cool story with uh, Nicholas. Uh, you know, if they're stopping by the pond not to look for frogs, you know, they're hooked for 18 holes. But, you know, and I, and I guess that kind of rolls into, um, you know, golf back at the Olympics the last uh, couple of Rio de Janeiro, and, <clears throat> excuse me, over in, in Japan and Tokyo. Um, obviously, working with uh, TSN and uh, covering that, what do you think? Um, obviously, you had it for two weeks, I guess. There was the men and then the ladies. Uh, what was your experience in covering that, and, and what do you see in, in talking amongst uh, other reporters uh, throughout the association? Well, I think I think that um, it's almost a little bit of apples and oranges with the men and the women. You know, the men they didn't get all the top names going in, so Dustin Johnson didn't go, Louis Eustazen didn't go. There was a number of the bigger players who just opted out, Brooks Kepka, and that was the same thing in Rio, but far fewer. But I think you saw a lot of converts. So Rory McIlroy, who was one of the first guys to sort of say golf shouldn't be in the Olympics, is was a full-blown convert in, in that big playoff seven for the gold or the bronze medal, you know, said, I never played so hard for third place in my, my life. <laughs> and, and then you look over at the women, and they had everybody who was there, and it, it, was, it was pretty remarkable. I think both of them showed that um, I think the men's event was probably the most entertaining of the big events that I've watched this year or was at this year. The finish was, was tremendous with Xander Shoffley hitting that wedge in there for a gold medal and then the seven-way playoff. And the women's was, was eye-opening for a certain extent as well. I think it's, um, there were a lot of great stories. Obviously, Nellie Cordo was one and needing some, you know, almost, almost getting uh, into a 59, an opportunity to shoot 59. I think you had Lydia Coe, uh, who's a wonderful story. We've seen her, of course, in, uh, in Alberta the first time when she won 
or a second time, I guess you won as a 15 or 16 year old, whatever it was. I can't remember back exactly, but um, the women's one seemed to be um, a little bit more of the top players and a little bit more worldly. The, uh, the woman who won uh, Mona Inume, who won the silver medal, doesn't even play on the LPGA tour. She plays in Japan. But now, now they've had two uh, goes with 72-hole stroke play. There's an opportunity, perhaps, now to do something what curling did. And I use this example a few times, but curling got into the Olympics in 1998, and it was the four-man play like we've traditionally seen. But then after it became such a big hit, and after it became solidified as an Olympic sport, they were able to add a second uh, discipline, which is the mixed doubles. And they did mixed doubles. They, this game got created basically out of nowhere. And for traditionalists, at the first part, it was, you know, what are we doing here? But it takes fewer players to play, and it's a much quicker game. It doesn't last for a long time. And it immediately was, was a hit. And it's almost to the point now where people would rather watch the mixed doubles than the, the traditional four-player team. And the reason I, I bring this up is, you know, golf could add or could develop a second style. The traditionalists would pull their hair out and would yell and scream, but think of all the things that are that are critical that we get criticized for. You know, slow play. Um, it's an expensive sport. Um, it's only you know you got to wear a dress code. All these different things. So if you could find a way to play some sort of a game, maybe it's a six-hole game, uh, maybe it's a mixed team, maybe it's only three clubs, maybe you have to run between shots. I don't know what it is yet, but you have an opportunity now to dispel a lot of myths about golf and create a secondary game that could take off in, uh, in, in clubs across the country. So I think for the next, between now and the next Olympics in three years in Paris, you know, there may be an opportunity to do something like that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think there's definitely a huge opportunity, um, you know, with that. And, you know, talking of, you spoke of dress code and, and you know, being here in Jasper all the years and, and coming out from St. George's uh, back in 2008, um, you know, dress code is that stigma. And it is relaxing a little bit. Obviously, um, you know, I think HV3, Harold Varner, um, had a couple posts on social media regarding the hoodies. Um, we've, we've slightly re relaxed our dress code when it comes into the evenings. Um, you know, people that are coming to play wearing denim or a t-shirt and you're asking them to, well, you know, unfortunately, you know, we're going to have to get you in a pair of slacks, colored golf shirt. Um, and they kind of see the eyes roll and it's like, you know, so there's definitely an opportunity to be more inclusive, um, to do that. So that's some great points. And, you're right. Like seeing where the Olympics are going to go, um, you know, that mixed doubles you mentioned of curling and, and, you know, for those listening, Bob is a, a stellar curler just as he is a golfer um, at West. And I've had the pleasure of, of curling against Bob over the years back in Toronto, but um, there's definitely opportunity there for sure. And uh, that's, that's going to be really cool. Um, that's awesome. The Olympics were great. Um, hope everyone had an opportunity to, to check them out. Uh, I watched that seven man playoff, um, you know, watching Hideki come down the back nine. You couldn't make a putt. And he was yeah. dancing all, uh, all across the holes. And, and, you know, Xander had that clutch wedge on 18 and then made that, you know, three, four footer. And uh, pretty special for him and, and his father that, uh, you know, his Olympic dream was kind of ended short. And, and Xander kind of living that through um, his dad was, was pretty cool. Um, you know, I'd like to roll into, you know, some of your personal experiences, Bob, when, when playing some of the world's greatest golf facilities and, and, you know, what that service was like, what your experience was like. Um, you know, some of your, your favorite course designs, if you could maybe, um, touch base on, on some of the things that you look for when you go to visit a world-class, uh, experience, maybe it was Augusta, which I'm, I'm sure is at the very top of, of your list of, of facilities played, uh, media day after the masters. But yeah, I just, uh, I'd like to hear a little bit, um, you know, some of your personal experiences throughout the years. 
Sure. Um, well, the Masters experience was, as you said, second to none. They have a draw for the media the day to play the Monday after. And um, I was kind of the Susan Lucci of the media draw for, uh, I, I missed out 18 years in a row. And then finally on my 19th year, I got picked and uh, got to play. And they treated us, you couldn't have asked to be treated any better. You know, you rolled in down Magnolia Lane, they dropped you off. You got went up and we had the champions locker room and they knew I was a Canadian. So they gave me Mike Weir's locker. Um, he hadn't left anything in there, so that was fine. <laughs> and, uh, and then you had breakfast and you went over to the range and you got a caddy, you know, and then you played 18 holes. And I was lucky enough to play with three people who were all around my, my skill level. And we just had a great time. And the caddies told, you know, amazing stories. I had a caddy who had caddied for, I think, three different U.S. presidents. And I mean, it was, um, it was everything you'd think about. And, and someone had warned me, one of my other guys on the TSN crew who had played a couple of years before warned me, he says, when you get to about 17, all of a sudden you're going to realize oh my gosh, like it's, it's almost over. And so it's over as quicker than you can, you can, you can be there. But it was, um, it was a bit surreal and yet it was still relaxed. Um, you've seen, I, you know, I'd walked around that course for 19 years and, and outside the ropes. And when you see it inside, it's even then it's still, it's a little bit different, but in terms of an operation, you know, it was very, very smooth. Um, they knew exactly what they were doing, where to go, how to treat you. Food was good. Everything was spectacular. It was just a nice, relaxed, fun memorable day of golf in terms of other places you know a lot of times i'm at tournaments and at courses that i don't get to play like i've been to pebble beach i don't know how many times never played it i've been to doral how many times never played it i've been to tory pines i actually have played tory pines um which is a good story because it's a municipal golf course but there's there's a lot of courses where i just go to cover the tournament and i don't ever ever get a chance to play them but the ones that i do play you know, I'm, I'm not a great golfer by any means. I'm like, a, any, depending on the time of year, sort of around plus or minus on the 10, 10 handicap side. So um, I, I always make sure I choose tees that are going to help me out and make me feel good because I'd rather come off the golf course uh, feeling good about my scorecard than feel, feeling beat up. And I don't feel a necessity to play the back tees in any way, shape or form just to just to do it. But I, I look for, you know, I look for some decent conditioning. I think that's important for, for golf courses. And uh um, although you understand the superintendent probably has the most difficult job. I look for more hospitality, friendliness. Uh, I don't care. I'm, I'm happy to lug my own bag out of the car and put it on a cart or whatever. You know, I don't need all the bells and whistles. Those are, those are nice. And I know at some places you expect those kind of things, but I think just, just a, just a friendly face and a, and an honest honesty about what's happening. I, I, I not a good guy. I'm not very good at dealing with kind of snobby stuck up <laughs> places I'm really not comfortable with those so I'm just a measly old reporter so I'm trying to think of courses I mean Story Pines was like that Story Pines is a municipal golf course so it's run by the city so it wasn't real fancy we just kind of went in paid our green fee and off we went on the first tee so that was kind of fun where else have I played that uh I'm trying to think of I mean I played over in the UK where that is kind of the, the way to go right you just go out there and you hit hit the ball as I'm sure many of your listeners have played over there you know it's a little bit more um, relaxed a little bit more, a little quicker. Uh, I love the caddies over there. They're a blast. There's some fun stories with some of the caddies over the years that, that I've had. You know, I'm sure there's the guy on the tee at St. Andrews who said, what's your handicap? And I said, oh, I'm 12. And he said, let's see a swing. So I took a swing and he goes, oh, you must be a hell of a putter. And I'm sure, I'm sure he uses that line on everybody that goes there. But there's a few of those ones out there. Um, we actually had a good story. We had two groups playing there one time. And, uh, we got we had a little bit of a money game going and we seven of us had taken caddies and the eighth guy took a, a pull cart and we went around and played and as it ended up the guy with the pull cart had a putt on the last hole to win all the money the one group was up behind the green watching 
rest of us were sort of sitting by and this guy lined up the putt from left, lined up the putt from right, front, back. And he went over to one of the other caddies and he says, how much, you know, how do you think this is going to break? And the caddy said, why don't you ask your pull cart? <laughs> so, so that was, that was a fun experience over there. But, you know, I don't know. I, I, I really have played a lot in Canada more than anywhere. And I love the experiences in Canada. There's some, I think we're just so underappreciated as a golf country. I mean, you've got courses like Cabot Links and you've got courses like Banff and Jasper and you've got courses in the city. I mean, you look at the city of Toronto and you look at the, the architects who have their fingers on, on some of these courses in here. It's all the greatest names in golf, you know, Willie Park and, and Donald Ross. And um, I mean, well, I know Stanley Thompson, obviously, we'll get to that, I'm sure. Uh, and then you come out west and you play in the in the in the mountains and you go out to Vancouver and Vancouver Island and um, you know up in Whistler. It's just uh, we're really spoiled here, and I think more people should really take their trips east west rather than north south uh, when they're thinking about a golf holiday. Yeah, and and you know COVID I think has given a lot of people the opportunity to do that, um, not being able to travel as you say north and south and, and across the seas. Um, we've welcomed a lot of people from, you know, back in the East or, you know, Central Canada and Ontario and, and Quebec, and they've come out here and played the golf course uh, for the first time. Um, similar with, with folks out of Calgary. Um, people my age, you know, I'm 38, and, and people coming up to Jasper for the first time in their lives and have grown up in Calgary and just hadn't made that drive up the Icefields Parkway, which, again, is the greatest highway in the world in, in my eyes, but experiencing what Canada has to offer when it comes to golf, I think is, is really important. And you echoed it from, from coast to coast with the addition of Cabot, you know, they're now uh, moving into to BC into Revelstoke, which is going to be very exciting to see what uh, kind of transgresses there. But yeah. And, and, you know, speaking of architecture and, and Stanley Thompson, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to, you know, talk to myself if I didn't speak of, of Stanley and, and our, and our golf course here at Jasper. But I know you've, you've played many of, of Stanley's golf courses and it's, it's Canada's, if not North America's most prolific architect. Do you see um, some of the newer uh, facilities, you know, like, you know, Tom McBroom or, or Rob Whitman that have, you know, put their uh, stamp on, on Canada with some of their golf courses. Do you see any similarities um, from Stanley or Willie Park or Donald Ross um, throughout those golf courses that have been around for 80, 90 years into some of the new generation architects and, and kind of playing to that. And, and what is your thoughts on what you want to see of a golf course when it comes to the design and the layout? Like, what do you um, think is for moving forward in the game of golf is going to be best suited for that? Yeah, definitely. I don't think, you know, I, I think one generation influences the next generation and so on. And, you know, you can go back and look at Stanley Thompson, some of the things he did, some of the bunker techniques he had, uh, some of the mounding behind behind greens that reflect the topographical nature behind off in the mountains and things like that, those little subtleties, which, you know, you think about it in your mind, you go, my gosh, what was he, how did he ever come up with that? And I've been lucky to play quite a few uh, Islands Links and uh, Capilano and St. George's, obviously, which is uh, basically where I used to walk across St. George's every day to go to my high school from where I lived and grew up <clears throat> in the days when they wouldn't uh, come and sick the dogs on you for being on the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I played I played a Stanley Thompson course for the first time a couple of weeks ago, a place called Muskoka Lakes up in uh, Muskoka, which was a beautiful little course. And there's all, if you know what to look for, there's all, you know, his trademarks that are there. And I'm sure a lot of them have been touched and hampered and molded by other architects or pseudo architects over the years in a lot of places. And, um, you know, he's got a great touch. He's, he, he just, you just look at the, the top 100 golf courses on Score Golf and see the number of courses that he designed that are still uh, up there it's it's ridiculous but i think you know 
if you did a family tree of golf course architecture, you would see, you know, Stanley Thompson influenced guys like uh, uh, Robbie Robinson, who influenced uh, Doug Carrick, and same thing with, on Tom McRoom's side. And both those guys have their own characteristics, and, and some of them have changed over the years. And uh, Tom McRoom was known for having very strong greens early in his career, and he's kind of moved some of those, a lot, changed those a little bit along the way. But they'll, they'll have their legacy too. And now I think uh, you look at guys like Rod Whitman, who has been known more as a shaper than anything else for his years, but his designs uh, in a number of different spots He's going to be doing the one in Revelstoke, I'm pretty sure. I think I heard that. And, um, you know, his, at, Cabot, uh, at Cabot Links, of course, I think it's spectacular. But if you look, there's there's a green there that I think it's the fifth green that's got a beer Ritz in it, which is uh, something that goes back into the Scottish influences of golf courses, which means there's sort of a ditch in the middle of the green. Um, so, again, like anything new is, is really old, to be perfectly honest. They just sort of figure out ways to do it. Um, I, think, I think the courses, for the most part, have aged. I think, you know... Like if you look at St. George's as an example, the, the greens there were so severe in some cases because they were built to handle speeds of probably eight or nine on the stiff meter, not 10 or 11. And so they had to be smoothed out a little bit and adjusted a bit. But those, besides that, you know, I think most of these courses have really been reflective of, of the architects who built them. My course at Weston has changed very, very little over the years, um, except when necessary because of, you know, whatever restrictions or water or highways or whatever things like that come in but wherever you go across the country i think uh, we're, we're blessed with some of these great historic courses and i mean i, I won't uh, i won't kid you jasper and i've said this and I'm not saying it because i'm just on this podcast but jasper is probably one of my two or three most favorite golf courses to play in the country i think it's a perfect example of a golf course that can challenge you uh, but a golf course that isn't really um, punishing in any kind of way, shape, or form, and has some of the most beautiful views you'll ever see in a golf course anywhere. And I, I just get inspired, and I, I try. I don't always, because sometimes the last time I played, I wasn't very good there, actually. But uh, I think most of the times, it's a pretty spectacular golf course and a fun place to play. And that, for me, if I shoot 100 and I'm having fun, I couldn't care less. Oh, exactly, right? It's, it's a golf course that you can play day in, day out. And, and enjoy it and have fun and try to score well, whether, you know, you shoot 100, whether you shoot 70, whether you shoot 60. Um, you know, I think our course record is, is 61 um, by the current uh, CEO of, of Hamilton Golf and Country Club, Alan Carter. Um, but, you know, there's... <laughs> there, yeah. <laughs> um, but there are courses where, you know, I've played and, and they're spectacular, they're great, but to play them every day, I don't think I could be able to do it. Not that it's it's difficult, but there's... That, that enjoyability, that fun level just isn't to the height of playing in the Rockies. And um, one of the reasons why I haven't left Jasper in, in 13 years since I came out in 2009 and I've been here since then and I've started my family and, and met my wife and have three beautiful daughters and it's, it's special. But again, it's a course that every day, you know, I could play seven days a week from we open in May until Thanksgiving um, and not get tired of it. And I don't think there's a lot of facilities that are, that are around that are like that. Um, you know, I'm sure you've played a few facilities over the years where, you know, like Jasper or another course, you're like, you know what, I could, I could retire here. I could play every day, but there are those facilities where it's just, it's nice to play, whether it's once or twice a year, but to go out there three, four days a week, it's, it can be challenging or too difficult yeah. or it takes a little bit away. I think, I think everybody adjusts to their, their own pace their own course i mean it's you know when we first started doing the top 100 golf courses when i was at score we always said it was tough it was easier to tell someone that their spouse was ugly than their golf course was was not in the top 100 you know and, and it really is in some cases people love their golf courses and they love them what they're for i love my golf course at weston i think it's a one of the best ever and i i'm like you i i would never get bored playing there um something like the national golf club i know is a very hard golf course and it's not for me every day 
And I thought Graham Dillette, actually, when I was with him at the Masters this year, you know, he, he had a good point. He said, you know, the, the national is almost too hard because there's no let up. Every hole is hard. And that's why he said, you know, it wasn't he liked playing it, but once or twice a year was enough for him. I'm sure the members at National will express just what I did about Weston. They love it. They love playing it every day, and uh, they love the challenge. But everyone finds their their what they like about golf, and that's probably the interesting part. And in Canada, we've got courses by the sea, courses in the mountains, courses in cities, courses in farms. You know, it's great. We've got great selection. Something for everybody. Oh, that's awesome. No, it's, uh, you know, echoing some of your points earlier, you know, golf's in such a great spot, and there's opportunities to, to make it even better, um, to continue that growth the retention uh which is really good and you know before i i kind of go into some quick fire questions if you're if you're comfortable with that bob i got a i got a few maybe about a uh, half dozen or a dozen or so um but again i just wanted to you know personally thank you on behalf of the pga of alberta our education committee you know taking the time to uh, out of your busy schedule you know just getting off the olympics um the time change two weeks covering golf um to to do this interview with me and and, and touch on some really important questions and um, you know, for those listening, uh, Bob is, is volunteering, so I'm, I'm not paying him here for the, the shameless plugs <laughs> on JPL, but, um, you know, thank you very much. I, I truly no appreciate problem. that. I'm happy and, to do it. I'm happy uh, to talk to the folks and the, the PGA members and, and anyone else who happens to be listening. All right. So are we ready for some quick fire questions, sir? Yes, sir. Bring them on. All right. Your current Golf Canada index. Uh, it just went up 13.4 right now. Favorite golf course in Canada? Uh, Weston would be followed quickly by Cabot Cliffs. No, yeah, Cabot Cliffs and Jasper Park Lodge. Favorite golf course in the entire world? Oh, probably Augusta National. That was an easy one. That was a, I probably could answer that one for you. Yeah. Uh, what's your, your best 18-hole score? Uh, best 18-hole score is 74 at Weston Golf Club, and I've shot it four times. Any hole-in-ones, Bob? Uh, three and a half. I got three legitimate ones and then one where I hit it in the water, reteed, and put it in. So really, as Graham Dillette said, yeah, you only got three. Yeah, great par, though. <laughs> great par. Um, do you have a, a favorite LPGA, PGA, Champions Tour player over the years that you um, really enjoy that has all aspects? So, you know, whether it be uh, the skill level, personality, anything like that? Uh, Nick Price was a pretty remarkable guy. He was just so down to earth. Um, great player, obviously, and uh, lovely. Followed, I would say, by Graham McDowell is one of my favorites. Brant Snedeker is all these guys are just down to earth. No pretense about them at all. Uh, on the LPGA Tour, I, uh, I loved uh, working with Don Coe Jones over the years before she passed away, obviously. And, uh, and Elena Sharp is, uh, is a really sensational person as well. Some, some great names there, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Your favorite post-round beverage? Uh, I like, I've been drinking a triple bogey this year. I've been having that for myself. And also, uh, when I'm not drinking, I'll have a uh, Arnold Palmer. Because my golf course obviously is known as the home where Arnie Palmer won his first professional victory, the 1955 Canadian Open. So we have Arnold Palmer's on there. Beautiful statue still uh, still up front when you roll in there, yep. if I'm not mistaken, from my time back in Toronto. That's um, right, right in the first tee. What is your uh, your favorite interview that you've ever done uh, throughout your time at SCORE, TSN, golf, curling, whatever it may have been? Uh, the most impactful interview I ever did, I'll put it that way, I interviewed Charlie Sifford, and um, he talked about what it took him to get to the PGA Tour, what he had to go through. Um, it was just a heart-wrenching um, story to hear what he, what he put up with. Uh, it was shameful, and in a lot of ways, it's, it's just always stuck with me. And I told him that a number of years, number of years later, and then he was, he was grateful for that. He always said that the Canadian Open was one of the tournaments where he came where he felt he actually could play without too much of, a, of an issue. But 
Uh, that was the most, that's the one that stands out in my mind. Kind of alludes into the next question. You know, there's, there's a four majors in golf, but you know, from, from what stories, my great aunt who's uh, in the Ontario golf hall of fame. And my dad told me, you know, Nicholas and player Trevino Palmer, they always talked about how the Canadian open was always the fifth major. Do you think now with the date just before the U S open, are we, are we going to attract some of those bigger names back into Canada? You know, obviously the last couple of years has been postponed at St. George's and it's, it's going to be going back there next year. Um, but do you think that is, uh, is something that will, will help that moving forward to, to get it back to that? You know, it's never left its uh, stigma here in Canada, but across the world, I feel that it's, it's lost a little bit of that uh, aurora to it. Do you think that having that right before the U.S. Open is going to attract a few more people and, and get that status back to where it, you know, we think it should be? Uh, I don't think it'll ever be back known as the, the fifth major because there's just too many other bigger events that have leverage points that the Canadian Open will never have, World Golf Championship events, things like that. But I think it can be best in class. And I think it, it was starting to show that in 2019 at Hamilton. When you look at the field that included Dustin Johnson, and Rory McIlroy, and Brooks Kepka, uh, and Justin Thomas, you know, I mean, compared to what it was in its dregs when it was the week after the British Open Championship, you know, it's come a long way. And RBC is a huge reason why that's happening and the, the support they've given to that tournament, along with the work with Golf Canada, but primarily RBC have really stepped up to make that event. And I think you'll see that when it does get back in action. Uh, hopefully next year we'll see that uh, that continue. Uh, last little question for you here. Um, something that uh, some of the viewers listening to this podcast may not know about you. Um, I like to run marathons. And um, I'm uh, half marathons, most of mine. There's, uh, there's six major champions, championships or six major marathons, and I've knocked off two. And my goal is to try and get to all six of them. So um, that's, I guess, one thing I know off the top of my head. I only think about that because I went for a run yeah, this morning. I didn't even know about that. Uh, that's, that's awesome. That's one thing. That's one thing, I guess. So, uh, and I'm also uh, uh, an amateur magician. So there you go. I like to practice magic. Very good. Well, hopefully one day uh, we'll have the opportunity to see some of those uh, magic tricks and rabbit out of the hat, so to speak. But no, that's, you know, Bob, again, thank you very much for, for doing this podcast with us. I, I truly appreciate uh, the time that you set aside my seat. Uh, for those that uh, don't know, Bob um, is the only uh, person in Canada to be inducted both into the Curling Hall of Fame and the Golf Hall of Fame here in Canada in the builder category. So He's been uh, just absolutely wonderful for the game of golf, uh, the sport of curling over the years. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm lucky to have met you years ago uh, when I was at St. George's and, um, you know, build this relationship to have this opportunity to do the podcast. And again, thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart. I really appreciate you doing this podcast with us and, and hopefully our viewers within not only Alberta, but in Canada, pick up on a few things and, and hopefully assist them in, in the years to come moving forward. So thanks very much, Bob. Appreciate it. And just to clarify, both those Hall of Fames, I'm builder category. I'm not. I'm not a great golfer or a great person. So <laughs> it's very good. But thank you for having me on, and best of luck to everybody listening. Thanks very much. Thank you. Bye.